Today on the second Sunday of Advent, as Lisa said earlier, we continue our focus on stories surrounding the birth of Jesus in which angels appear. Now, I'm curious, when you think about angels, what comes to mind for you? Christmas. Christmas, yeah, Christmas, exactly. Do you think soft and cute? Harps and wings? Bearers of warm, fuzzy feelings? I think that's the Hallmark version. The angels that we find in the Bible are, are downright scary. At least they provoke fear in the people that they appear to, who are often reported to be terrified. And their messages tend to be unsettling as well. They bring mind-boggling news that is often really hard to believe. And they don't always respond kindly when their messages are questioned. Just look at what happened to Zechariah in last week's story. He questioned what the angel Gabriel told him, and he lost his speech for nine months. Angels in the Bible are about serious business. In Greek, the word angel means messenger. And that's exactly who angels are throughout the Bible. Messengers of God sent to bring a divine world word to the world in a clear and unforgettable way. Their presence is a signal to those characters in the story and to those of us who are reading and hearing the story as well that something important is about to happen. Pay attention. And that's exactly what we're invited to do this morning, to pay attention as we hear the story about Mary's encounter with this angel this angel is apparently the same one that took Zechariah by surprise in the temple. And he has a name, Gabriel. And again, in this story, he brings startling news. This time that Mary will give birth to a baby who will be the Messiah. It's clear that Mary is caught off guard, both by the angel's unexpected presence and also by the content of his message. And here's what I find really interesting. Like Zechariah, Mary questions what the angel has said. She says, how can this be? But this time around, Gabriel's response is kinder and it's gentler. Rather than zipping Mary's lips, he takes time to explain how this can be. So what accounts for this different approach? Who knows? Perhaps he feels that he owes it to her. After all, she is a young woman whose life is about to be completely turned upside down. Think about it. Here she is, a girl probably of about 12 or 13 years old, because that was the marriageable age for young women in that time and place. She is betrothed or engaged, likely to a much older man that she is not yet living with. 
If at this point in their relationship she turns up pregnant, it will be assumed that she's been unfaithful to Joseph. And because she is engaged to him, this will be considered adultery. And consequently, she will be publicly disgraced. She will likely be rejected and divorced by her fiancé. And she could even be stoned publicly. This is the good news that the angel was delivering to Mary. Her life was to be completely rearranged. Now, I suppose that Mary could have responded in any number of ways. She could have said, I don't believe this is happening. I must be dreaming. If I just shut my eyes for a while, it will go away. Denial can be a powerful force in our lives. Or recognizing reality for what it was. She could have said, why have you chosen me, God? I'm nobody important. And the place that I come from is some little village out in the middle of nowhere. I am not worthy of what you are asking. Or she could have said, thanks, but no thanks. You know, I do appreciate the, the invitation to be involved, but this is way too risky. There is way too much at stake, too much for me to lose. Please find someone else to do the job. I'm, I'm personally convinced that Mary could have responded in any of these ways. I mean, she was, after all, a living, breathing human being with a mind and with a will of her own. But according to Luke, she doesn't. Although she does wonder out loud about some of the logistical details, like uh, just how is all this going to happen? In the end, she says... Here I am, a servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Now, this is an old and familiar story. We know how it ends even before it begins. We know Mary is going to say yes. And we are ready to follow her to Bethlehem and to the stable and to coo over her baby in that manger. I think we've also heard the story often enough that we have a sense of the incredible risk that she took in allowing space within her, not just within her life, but within her own body for God's love to gestate and to grow and to be born into our world as a baby. And we also know that watching that baby grow into adulthood will break her heart. That it will, in Simeon's prophetic words, pierce her soul. Mary can't know all of this yet. But she surely has a sense that the way ahead is going to be messy. That it won't be easy. And that any nicely laid out plans for the future are definitely on hold. 
And so what I find myself wondering about most this morning as I hear this familiar story once again is, how did Mary get to yes? I suppose my question reflects as much as anything as where I find myself in life right now. Aware of the risks that I am being invited to take, and at the same time, also very aware of potential costs. Maybe this is a factor of growing older, of hitting middle age. I don't know. What I do know is that making space in one's life for God's love to gestate and to grow and to be born into this world is risky business. And it seems to require a whole lot of letting go. For Mary, saying yes to God meant letting go of a nicely planned out future and the safety and the security that all that represented for her. It meant letting go of her vision for how her life would unfold. And... This letting go was necessary. It was necessary in order to create space for what God was wanting to birth in and through her. Letting go. That's not an easy task for most of us, especially not in our control-oriented culture, where, in the words of Richard Rohr, we are trained to engineer life more than just live it. In a world where there is so much anxiety about so many things, we work hard to control outcomes and to protect our values and our interests and to preserve order and stability and the familiarity that we know. We hold on to things that help us feel safe and secure. And yet, and yet I wonder as I reflect on this story about Mary, might holding on tightly to those things that we know and that we value and that we find comfortable sometimes deprive us of opportunity to birth new expressions of God's love. I find the story about Mary speaking to me loud and clear these days as I wonder about what letting go looks like in my life. And I notice that Mary comes to this place of letting go, of release, not because she is afraid, not because she is coerced, but because she is willing She is willing to release her grip on a life that she holds dear because she sees that there is something far bigger at work here than just her life. She sees that it's about God. God is on the move. God, almighty God, is preparing to get up close and personal 
to become flesh and to live among God's people as one of them. God, Almighty God, is at work to redeem the world, to liberate God's people from bondage, and to restore the world to wholeness. And somehow she, of of all people, has been invited to partner with God in this work. And the next thing we know, we find Mary at the home of her cousin, Elizabeth, and her soul cries out in wonder and praise about this thing that God is doing. We heard it this morning numerous times, sang it. Mary is clear. What God is doing is abundantly good news. In the words of Barbara Brown Taylor, The proud and powerful will be relieved of their swelled heads. The hungry will be satisfied with good things. The rich will be sent away empty so that they will have room in them for more than money will buy. This is good news for all people everywhere. And especially for those of us who entertain the thought from time to time, or maybe more than time to time, that God has forgotten us, that God has forgotten the promise to be with us forever and to love us forever and to give us fresh and endless life. Mary is filled with this good news. She has somehow caught this vision of what God is doing And she is so convinced of it, so convicted of it, that she sings about it in past tense. If you'll read Luke 1, 51 to 55, you'll find that the verb tense is past tense. She sings about it as if it's already happened. She is so sure of this vision that she sings about it ahead of time, as if the promise has already come true. I believe in the end that it is this conviction, that it is this hope that gives Mary the courage to say yes to God. It's what gives her courage to take the risk of stepping out into the unknown. It's what gave her courage to make space in her life for God's spirit to enter in and to work through her. This kind of conviction and hope, I think, is a scarce commodity these days, given all that we see around us. Do we dare to believe that God is actively at work in our world and among us, loving and transforming the world, loving and transforming us? Maybe it would be easier for us to believe it if God sent an obvious, in-your-face message to us, like he did to Mary. I don't know, an angel that dropped in out of nowhere might be kind of hard to ignore. On the other hand, God has already sent us kind of message through the story that we find all throughout the Bible. 
We saw this clearly throughout our 12 scripture process as we looked at the scriptures that we treasure together. Here in this story, we learn that the desire of God's heart is for peace, is for wholeness, is for mending what has been broken. In this story, we learn that God's response to the pain and to the sin in our world is not one of distancing or rejection, but one of drawing close and embracing love. Here we see God becoming one of us, Emmanuel, God with us, entering into our joys and our struggles and our pain to heal and to forgive and to transform us and our world. This is a message of hope that comes to us all throughout the Bible. And the story continues as God's spirit moves in our world and draws us toward this vision. The story continues as we accept God's invitation to become part of it. We hear this invitation in this morning's gospel reading. Just as it came to Mary, it comes to each one of us. And then it's up to us to respond. Can we, like Mary, say yes to what God is wanting to do, to the way that God is wanting to love the world in and through us? I look around this morning and I see a room full of people who have said yes to that invitation. People who every day carry Jesus with them wherever they go, into their homes, into their work, into their relationships, as they engage our community about issues of peace and justice as they walk alongside the folks who are staying at the winter shelter or who gather for Monday night meals or who are seeking safe and affordable housing. I see a room full of people who are allowing the love of God to gestate, to grow inside them so that love might be born into this world. Becoming a womb for this love, it isn't always easy. In fact, sometimes it's downright risky. When the seed of God's spirit is planted within us, we do not know how it will grow. As God's spirit grows within us, it may call us to places that we have never dreamed of going. It may call us to service that we never dreamed of doing. It may call us, like Mary, to leave behind a nicely planned out future. Who knows? It may call us to reach out and be present in someone's life, even when we don't know where that involvement will lead. It may call us to speak clearly and publicly about our convictions at the risk of being misunderstood or rejected. And who knows, it may call us as a congregation here at East Chestnut Street to open ourselves to new ways of being 
in order to make space for a new thing that God is wanting to do here among us. Taking such risks is not easy. Yet we do so because we are compelled by the love that is growing within us. And because we, like Mary, believe in a God who is near to us, who in Jesus has moved in beside us, and who even now is at work to heal the wounds of violence and injustice, to bear the griefs and carry the sorrows of our aching world and of our own aching hearts, to lift up the lowly and scatter the proud, to fill the hungry with good things. This is the God that Mary praises in her song, a God who dwells among us and longs to live in us and work through us to bring healing and hope to this world. As we ponder what all this means, may we, like Mary, step forward in trust to give our consent. May we say yes to the love that God is wanting to birth through us and in us into the world. And as we do, may we, like Mary, courageously and confidently sing about what God is doing ahead of time, as if that promise has already fully come true. Amen.